Well, here we go. The Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral podcast. Of course, I am Eddie Cohn, the host, the creator of The Spiritual Spiral. And I'm really excited about today's episode. You know, this podcast originated out of what I believe is one of the strange dichotomies happening in our culture. And I think social media, Facebook, Instagram have transformed the way humans communicate, think, behave. People's minds are more drawn to the chaos of Instagram and social media and Facebook. And, and you know, I've spent the last couple of years talking about it. It's become something that I struggle with personally as I've been writing a book, which I'm proud to say I officially finished just two days ago. So, you know, I, I think we have to be very careful as to what we read, what we, what we digest, and just the emotional consequences by, stro- uh, by scrolling and staring at Instagram and Facebook for hours, I think is having a strong, complex impact on our culture. And the irony here is, is that my guest for today's show, Lori Cohen-Peters, I never would have met. Well, that's not fair to say. A, a mutual friend introduced me to her because he felt that I should be paying attention to some of the articles and things she's saying on social media, specifically Facebook. And, you know, I'm really happy that I met her and, and, and have been reading her information and the articles that she's been posting because, look, I understand there's, there's some potential hypocrisy here where I'm complaining about or, or commenting about the toxicity that can be found on social media. I, I think I'm thinking about just well, I'm, I'm thinking about a lot of things, but I'm I, thinking about how it's impacting the way people think, communicate, digest information. And sure, if you're hyper aware, know when to take time off, I, I think social media can potentially add some interesting nuance and perspective to your life. And I think in this case, Lori Cohen-Peters has really been a wonderful addition to my life, not only on social media, but I'm also really thrilled that she made it to my show. And we, we talked about a lot of important issues that I think we need to think about. She, like, she refers to herself as a health freedom advocate. She was very involved in sustainable agriculture. She also has started her own nonprofit to support sustainable farmers who are facing incarceration. Lori brought up this, this term, cognitive dissonance. And it's the psychological state that happens when you're either having conflicting viewpoints going on or a viewpoint comes up that contradicts what you already believe. And I think people are so embedded in Fox or CNN or being a liberal or the hatred for Donald Trump is so strong that you can't think clearly or objectively or critically. And my podcast sort of started because I think people are paying attention to the wrong people. People are paying attention to people that speak the loudest, maybe take off their clothes, or speak uh, with such vitriol that it you can't take your eyes off of them. I mean, Donald Trump has been very good at that, of course. But to take that step further, I think people are so enamored by these qualities that they see on Facebook and Instagram and people that can speak the loudest, that they're losing sight of their own belief systems or their own values. And so Lori takes it a step further and is really connecting it with what's going on right now with the coronavirus and how the media is handling it, how people are just sort of 
accepting that we should just stay home without asking questions. And and she's much more thick skinned than I am because, you know, I posted something on Facebook a few days ago about asking questions. And then, you know, people were applauding me for the post and then I was getting hated for it and, and I just couldn't deal with it. And I think that's a very important point. I am in the midst of writing a book and writing songs, and, and I don't want my brain to be thinking about stuff that's been posted on Facebook or Instagram. I want to be in a clear-headed space. So I really applaud Lori for what she's posting right now because I think it takes a lot of balls to be doing that kind of stuff. So I thought it was I was thrilled that she spoke to me, took the time to talk, and I think these are important conversations to have. I love the direction my podcast is going, and I just think this is a great talk. So... If you dig the show, please share it with your friends. It means a lot. Just getting this podcast heard is, is I'm, there's like 50 million podcasts to listen to as of this last count. So please, if you dig it, share it with your friends. Give it a five star on iTunes. Write a review. You can find it on obviously iTunes, Spotify, all major platforms. And you could reach out to me on Instagram or Twitter at Eddie Cohn. Say hello. You can ask me a question. You could support the show directly at my Patreon, which is patreon.com backslash Eddie Cohn. And last but not least, you know, I'm a yoga teacher as well. All of my yoga classes right now are streaming on YouTube and Zoom. So hit me up on Instagram at Eddie Cohn and I'll give you all the information for my yoga classes. I promise I'm going to be recording another podcast in the next couple of days about just sort of some of the insanity that I've been dealing with on social media, but I've been so immersed in finishing my book and writing some new music and taking advantage of this free time that we have right now. So I promise I'll be recording a couple more podcasts very soon. But for now, as always, thanks again to Lori for taking the time to talk to me. And thank you to you for supporting and being a part of the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral podcast. I know for Hi. for technology uh, for technology enthusiasts somehow that wasn't working out very well. Hi. I gosh, I gotta say I don't know where to begin, and I normally am very well prepared, and I prepared myself just because I just found out about you uh, like just two weeks ago. Are you normally this vocal on social? No. Okay. No. You know, for many many years, and then I took hiatus. I was very involved in sustainable agriculture, and I worked a lot with the non-GMO movement and GMO labeling. I became vocal, but I really administered so many other sites. I also started my own nonprofit. So I did a lot of work, but never personally. And if I did do anything personally, I always had like a specific list of just people that were interested in sustainable ag. Um, But I definitely have stepped out of the box and, and, and initially the comfort zone with this. Yeah. For sure. Well, just give me, b- b- before I ask you some questions, just give me a little bit of your background so people just sort of have a, have a frame of reference. Well, germane to this, because I have a very eclectic background, right? because I also was a producer for years and I'm back to doing a lot of that now. But um, germane to this topic, you know, like I said, I had a lot of experience in sustainable ag and consumer advocacy and I ran a pretty prevalent, non, a respected nonprofit, um, the Institute for Responsible Technology. I started as the director of communications and then moved into director role. And 
Um, that worked with educating the consumer on GMO education and outdoor release. And then I also simultaneously started with two other women, a nonprofit to support sustainable farmers facing incarceration, because I learned along the way that there was a lot of government overreach in sustainable farming and local um, economies that way. So we organized around that effort. And then I also did many other things around the topic of sustainable ag, nutrition, and GMOs. So I had a company where I went into restaurants and I rendered the kitchens GMO and glyphosate free. I did consulting on that end. I teamed with the USDA, something I'm really proud of, even though it didn't go where I wanted it to go. But I, I uh, partnered with USDA to create the first um, plant protein-based non-GMO fish feed. Okay. Um, and that did really well with the trials. And so the studies were published and that was really fun. And then I also have had and still do, although it's been on hiatus because I went back into production, but um, a, a integrative nutrition consultancy. And so I had clients from celebrity clients to a single mom with five kids. Like I had all different kinds of clients, uh, not just in LA, but internationally. And that okay. was really rewarding, but it all kind of played a role in how I saw autonomy of self and sovereignty and taking responsibility for your health. And also like, for instance, if I went and did a lecture, which I did for women who are pregnant in El Segunda, they have to have access to the foods that I'm telling them they would need to stay healthy. Well, when you look at government overreach on local farming, it becomes harder for them to have that access. And then when you look at big lobbying groups and initiatives in politics, and you see the GMO glyphosate movement or Monsanto at the time, it's now there, then you saw how that was interconnected. So it was all kind of, for me, it was like different forms of activism or advocacy, I should say, and driving through my passion. Well, let's backtrack, and because I have been struck, you know, I, I don't want to get this. I want this to become too political, but I yeah, guess I don't want to. Let's not be political. No, but but the problem is, is that if I say any of my opinions or even bring up Tucker Carlson, people are going to think that I'm some Fox lover or I'm a, a starch uh, conservative. I, I just, but I, I want to just backtrack. I have been very apprehensive. Or very, um, I've questioned the way that our culture and country has reacted and responded to the coronavirus, and I have all I felt that it was major manipulation happening. When were you originally questioning or sort of thinking something doesn't feel right? Well, I have to tell you something. I actually feel, and I'm connected to disparate but strong people internationally, everywhere from India to England to Italy, America, different places in America, all over France, that are feeling the same experience, having the same experience. We feel very called to this, like we almost plan to be here for this time, as strange as it is. We all have compulsions to contribute in different ways and we're all doing it differently. But ultimately, the common point is that we all feel this sort of inner directive, this inner compulsion. Now, I very quickly on got woke up to something doesn't smell right in the hen house. And 
I was back and forth. You have to understand, I went through a whole little sort of shaky place because when I first heard about this virus and it seemed so distant and far away in China, I had two friends who are artists that live in Shanghai and they were here visiting in LA and they couldn't go back. And we went out to dinner with them. And I said, you know, you can't go back until this is relieved. And then my uh, daughter's school, they were doing a class trip overnight to Chinatown. And I was like the only mother who said, and now it's very funny, by the way, side note, because I'm in a completely different place about it now. But ironically, I was pretty much the only mother that was up in arms. I said, how can you do this? How can you take the kids to Chinatown? There's a virus that came from China of all the places that tourists would come in LA and have the virus. So I was in reaction mode. And then my girlfriend in Italy, ironically, I'm usually, we joke that I'm usually the one leading the cart for her, but she was the one who tapped me on the shoulder via WhatsApp and said, Laurie, you like et tu Brute, like you're falling for this too, like do your work. And so I started, that was like a, that was a strange experience, that text, because it immediately rung through. It just, it was very rang true for me. Hmm. As soon as she said that, it was like being tapped on the shoulder by fairy godmother, if I can wax, you know, silly. I wasn't confronted or defensive. I was like, oh, right. And then I started, it was like glasses went off of my eyes and I had this clarity. But in those beginning stages, there was a lot of transformational things happening with me in terms of how I wanted to present the information to the people that I knew were on my Facebook list or my Instagram list. You have to understand, I, I actually have a reach of over you know 30 something thousand people because I'm an administrator for other sites. And I, if I really put it together, it would be more, but I haven't activated all of them and I just started activating two of them. But um, in those initial posts, I really, I had this, I have this friend who's a doctor and he's a very conservative doctor and he would inbox me every time I posted something and I really tried to post something that was responsible. It's my whole thing is always science-based, well-vetted, factual, coming from a viable source. I don't want to be irresponsible. Right. I'm not looking to use my little piece of freedom of speech to be negligent or to direct people into an area that could be harmful. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a doctor. I did study science, but I'm not a doctor. So I don't know. I just want to make sure that whatever I present to consider and discuss is responsible. And no matter what I posted, if it didn't really go with the party line, if it wasn't exactly with, you know, what the CDC was saying or the world meter, and you have to understand side note, I've had a history with the CDC. I've had a history with um, government organizations through sustainable ag and it ain't pretty. Like yeah. I've seen them lie. So I'm going back and forth internally. Like I want to stick with the CDC and I want to be really responsible. So I should stick with the CDC. But I'm also thinking, but the CDC has been lying to sustainable ag people for years. I know that they put people in jail that did not belong in jail, you know? So it was a confusing time. Funnily enough, that doctor, at one point, it was like I was a bucking bronco, bronco and I couldn't, I didn't even want to be this person. I didn't want to be this vocal on social media. But I, like I said, I had this compulsion. And at one point, he just washed his hands of me. He was like, I can't deal with it. You do what you want to do. You're not, you know, you're questioning vaccines. I hope your family is safe. 
other kids are safe, but I wash my hands of it. Well, some weeks later, you know how when you post the stories on Instagram or Facebook, you can see who has seen your stories? Sure. Weeks later, he's now checking every story that I post. So there's a reason there. There's something that's pulling him or drawing him or attracting him to the information I'm putting out there. And I think it's because we're all having our various degrees of wake up right now. And we're realizing that in order to determine what your true belief system is or how you're going to hold what this experience is, you have to break out of one narrative. You have to be willing to consider why are so many people speaking? Why are all these different sources from all over the world coming out and saying things that are contradicting the the loudest narrative um, you know, which is parroted on the majors and, right. you know, those, the who or the CDC, but, and then I'll shut up just to final, finalize that answer intuitively. And I'm very intuitively, uh, I, I respect my intuition. I'm very cautious and skeptical about what I take in, but I also really don't discredit my intuition. And I've had a long history of researching Gates. I've known about Gates for years. I'm vaccine discerning, so I have a long history of researching vaccines. I just knew the who, even, even without having all the information being sent me, because I get stuff sent all over the world to me, even without all that information, people would feed me links, feed me links. Even without that, I knew, I just knew intuitively that uh, we had to disengage from the who. It's funny, I, my podcast sort of originated out of my disdain in, in how tech and social media is affecting and impacting the world. And, you know, on the surface, it seems like this very innocent platform where, and, and, it's, and I'm not anti-free speech. I mean, I know that sounds insane to even think about, but then again, here's Facebook actually controlling now and taking down what those two doctors in Kern County are saying. So my concern and issue, and I love what you're doing, and I love that you're sharing other perspectives, and, and it's, it's sort of like validating what I've thought from the very beginning. But the problem is, is and, and I forgot the governor from New Jersey, his name, but to really get change to happen... It requires one to actually, you know, put their phone down, put Netflix away and actually digest information like you're doing. And I don't know if the vast majority of people are, are doing that because they're so distracted. And I'm wondering if people will get woke up, get woken up. Is it, is it too late? Because my issues are is that people are having these sort of commenty dialogues with you on Facebook, but they're not like what you and I are having, or if you were able to like be in front of 200 people in the actual room and, and get their attention for an hour, they would probably be able to digest it. But what you're doing is sort of asking people to use their own energy to go online and research and read and look at this perspective and look at that perspective. And I just don't think people give a fuck anymore. I'm a seed person. That's why I was really hmm. into the non-GMO issue. I was drawn to that. I, like I said, I lead with intuition. My passion is very much my compass. And I've always been a seed person. Um, and I feel that it's important to plant seeds. Hmm. You don't know where they're going to go. Case in point, that doctor that's now looking at my real stories, he's never reached out 
again, we never dialogue. I have no idea where his dial has moved on, you know, in his paradigm. But I do know that he can't walk away from something that he's seen of mine without realizing that he saw it. He can be in defensiveness about it. He can be shut down. He can have a clear cut. This doesn't make sense. But the next time he sees it from someone else or the next time he hears someone else say this or by the time CNN will never do it, maybe Fox catches up with some of this information that's, you know, more leaning away from the neo-lib agenda, agenda, maybe then he'll say, wow, that that seems familiar. Like I've heard that more than mine. Maybe I got to take a look at it. And this seems very slow, but having a background in quantum as I do and being really into quantum, there's no time space reality. So I don't really feel this pressure, this timeline pressure. I just acknowledge that we're all in our where we are. We all are having our own experience of you know internal dialogue and wake up relative to where we are. And I can't I'm not interested in everyone agreeing with me. I'm learning as I go. I'm changing. My world has turned upside down in terms of beliefs in the last seven weeks. I mean, upside down. So I'm for people to follow me, but I'm just saying, you know, I'll reiterate as you reiterated me. So we'll just keep reiterating each other. I'm just saying, you know, just question critical analysis is key in 2020. Just don't take anything at base value. Just be willing to look behind the veil and say, is there anything here that makes sense to me and helps answer something that I may not even know I was questioning? Do you think we live in a time now, though, where there's just too much information? And this idea you know, that... And, and everything is polarity, another law, of, uh, another quantum rule. But everybody, everything is polarity. You have the good and the bad. And the same with uh, social media, which I know is the juxta, the crust of your podcast. But everything has a negative and a positive, and it's really how you use it. If it's too much information, step away, go meditate, play with your dog, bake a cake. And then when you're ready, come back and digest what you want if that's your calling. Some people are really contributing to the world, just doing yoga, meditating. Maybe they're even using social media to engage in that way. And then there's other people who are posting um, all of the things they can find that seem like truth or fact that the media is not covering. And then there's a hybrid like me who's sort of doing both. And there's some people that are just quietly watching. I know I have lurkers because... I know some people never, I don't even remember that they're on my page. They never engage. And then I'll hear through a friend of a friend or like my mother, we've got mutual friends. You know, I saw this thing Laurie posted. I really hope she's going to be safe. You know, that's the other thing, right? We have like fear of freedom of speech now. So there's, you just don't know who you're connecting with, who you're reaching. And you don't know what it means when you reach them. But that's the whole point of social media. It's your platform. It's your opportunity to throw things out there and let them land where they will. It's, it's empowering if you can be in uh, disengage, if you're not attached to the outcome, even when people come back, like last night I was called a fucking moron by somebody, you know, and it's like, you just have to be disengaged from that and say, okay, that's where they are right now. Yeah. But how, how are you able to do that? Because, you know, I, I get comments and messages on Instagram from people that have heard my podcast and they're pretty negative and derogatory and they really bum me out. And it's like, I, you know, I'm a sensitive guy and you're engaging with, 
you know, 10, 15,000 people potentially that are making little comments. And, and that's, I, I, that's why I think social media is so problematic because I think as human beings, we're only meant to know, quote unquote, you know, maybe 50, 100, 200 people, but you have the potential to, you know, anybody can say anything they want to you, which I mean, is, is that challenging for you? Or are you just sort of like a rock emotionally with these people or you take it like a grain of salt? When I first started on Facebook in 2009, it was the strangest experience to realize how much I had shoved my voice down because I'm also have always been a pretty auditory, you know, leader type of girl. But I actually would censor myself. I had very strict lists. I didn't want anyone to know I was in quantum that might see me at a dinner party. I didn't want anyone at a dinner party. To, you know what I mean? So, and then I like, broke through it. And it was actually a phenomenal tool for growth for me hmm. to use this platform and get more and more confident. And in those early days, and even up until not, well, it's been a while, but in those early days, if I saw that somebody would, if my number went down, that actually affected me. Who left me? Why did they leave? Am I posting too much? Do they not like what I posted? But this all comes with autonomy of self and um, sovereignty and claiming who you are and knowing that where you're coming from is an authentic and genuine place. And I am a lover. I'm just, I love humanity. Like I am an Aquarius. If you want to go there, I don't know how you want to cloak it and everybody will have their, it'll be perceived through their filters. I am a genuine lover. And so I don't care at the end of the day, because if I'm offering something, I'm offering it because I feel that it's a value and I want it to be out there if it resonates with you, because it will be meaningful to you, period. And if it's not, if you like that guy who responded last night calling me this, you know, fucking moron. Can I say that? On sure. Podcast? Yeah. <laughs> he is dealing. That's a reflection of him. He's fighting through something was provocative for him. And I believe because the context was around the the fitness of Biden mentally. And I said I didn't feel he was fit can't to be a candidate. And that triggered for me when I look at why he came back so fiercely, I really think it triggered fear in him. I think he, like so many, are so afraid. Things feel chaotic. They feel out of control. They don't, they, for a myriad of reasons, don't like this current president and don't feel secure under his lead. And they're clinging to this idea that the Democratic Party will come in and sweep away all this chaos and then they will feel more secure. So to me, I generally like to look at things as either love or fear. Hmm. And when I get that kind of reaction from somebody, I don't take it personally. It's more about, okay, this is where they are. Now, I'm not perfect. There are some times when I get this kind of reaction, not that extreme, that's very rare, but if I get like a combative or a something discrediting response, I have sometimes had knee-jerk moments where I'm like, wait, I don't wanna fuck this up because the megaphone is speaking so loudly a falsehood and I am here presenting what I believe is a truth and you're bringing the megaphone falsehood into this one little area of my platform where I can put the truth. I wanna hide your comment. Like I don't want other people who are thinking maybe there's other, you know, there's another way to look at something to read your thing and say, oh no, back to the megaphone falsehood. So I have my own moments, but I always try to be responsible 
to step back, to work through it so I can come back with integrity and I can handle and engage in a way that is expansive rather than, you know, uh, that shrinks the conversation. I'm more negative than you are, but I've sort of lost a lot of faith in the human race over the last year or so, especially over the last six weeks, because I am amazed and so dumbfounded at how easy everybody's just willing to just take the government's word, the CDC's word, the media's word that we should just stay home. It's flabbergasting to me. And my issue is, is that there is such hatred for Trump I speak to liberal friends who I will send that that those videos of those two doctors or the Tucker Carlson video, and they'll just say, "Oh, they, they have an agenda," and and they're they are incapable of of listening. And so I I mean I've looked at some of the comments on your posts, and it does feel as though people just think that you're like Looney Tunes, and there's like there's no. Well, not on my page. If you'll notice on my page, I have pretty much which is not like a great thing, but I have pretty much a converted audience. I have very few people that aren't even posting the same thing, sharing my stuff, or they're already there. They're already seeing it the way I'm seeing it. So I'm actually would like more um, variety. So I'm hoping I have more lurkers than I realized. But what I think, what I have noticed is that, um, I don't know if you and I travel in similar enough milieus to project that your mini focus group is reflectant of this mini focus group I'm about to highlight. But what I've noticed is that um, there is a certain faction, usually what I call the neo, uh, the neo lib, but the Democrats that have been listening for, and I can speak to this because I was one, I stopped being a Democrat a while ago, and I'm a non-party. I like to say what Del Bigtree says, which is I'm politically marooned. But I have for a long, long time just looked at the individual, looked at the candidate, looked at what they did, looked at the bill, looked at the representative, and judged it accordingly. I don't have a party. I don't even believe the parties really exist. I believe their agendas, and I believe they have megaphones in the media. But I realize that this one group really reflects in attitudes, in life choices, in what they believe they're representing and what they're truly representing and the schism between what they believe and what they are representing. They're all simpatico, like their life choices and such are simpatico enough. And again, I have a, I have a minor reach, right? I'm not in like deep in the trenches of other uh even economic brackets, it's not that wide, you know, so I'm not, but what I have, I'm talking about in America. So what I have noticed is that that we're talking decades of infiltration and programming, Hmm. you know, decades of spin, decades of agendized um, positioning, and it parroted through CNN and uh, NPR and the New York Times and, you know, even, you know, the Atlantic, I mean, it, sometimes that pops out, but so many of these popular resources have a very specific agenda. And I had listened to those and, you know, I, it's 
the way you listen to it, you're driving, you're, I'm going to get my kids, I'm walking to the store, NPR is playing in the background. Now, I happen to be sensitive to certain subjects. So my radar goes off when I hear anything about vaccines or when I hear anything about GMOs, because I've worked in those sectors. So I knew very early on that NPR money watch or whatever it is, was getting money from Monsanto. I could tell. I saw the slant and bizarre shilling of the vaccine on a news station NPR. I could tell. But most of the time, I'm ignorant to a lot of what's going on politically. I don't know all the players, the ins or outs. So I'm just taking the information in. So I, too, thought Trump was just horrific. I mean, I was like, oh, my God, this guy is awful. And my mother's a lawyer. And she also is non-party. We are both registered Democrats. I, at one point, I was an independent. I re-registered as a Dem for voting purposes. I can't wait to get off that ticket for moral purposes. Right. My mother's a lawyer, and she's very judicious. And she was like, Laurie, have you ever gone to his personal Twitter? Not that she tweet, tweets. She's like, have you ever listened to him talk on camera? Do you know anything about what's been going on politically? Start doing your research, and then let's talk. Well, I did. I didn't know he disbanded ISIS. I didn't know that Obama had us in seven wars and got the Nobel Peace Prize, but Trump had gotten us in no wars. I didn't know that so many child sex uh, rings have been disbanded under Trump's administration. I didn't know any of this. And I'm not saying that Trump doesn't have horrific things that he's done. And I'm not saying that, you know, one camp is whatever. I'm just saying that when you step back and you t disengage from mainstream media and you actually do the research, if you are willing, if you find yourself willing to soften, to consider, to look at isolated acts or accomplishments and see the, the value or to, or to critically analyze it, then you are somebody who has disengaged from the grips of cognitive dissonance. If you can't, if the minute you see Fox, that headline, like your friends, if you can't, if it's like this, yeah. if I can say to you, hey, Biden's, you know, got these sexual assault <laughs> allegations, can yeah. we discuss it? Well, everybody has sexual assault allegations. And what do you want to do? Don't you want Ruth Ginsburg? Like, if you can't just objectively discuss at hand issues of concern, you have, you're suffering from cognitive dissonance. And that occurs from years of programming. And that should be a red flag for you, not because you'll come out of it and think differently at the end, but because you weren't capable of considering it without a defensive knee jerk, you're a fucking moron. Well, you, you know? are, you're actually a couple more points and I'll let you go. You are basically describing the angle, though, of my podcast towards social media. And, but you're sort of you're adding a bit of a political spin. Uh, because of algorithms, because of the addictive qualities, people are not able to objectively and critically think anymore. And I think it's the combination of only staring at Fox or CNN, staring at your phone, Netflix, Instagram, Facebook all day, only surrounding yourselves with opinions or comments that make you feel comfortable. The moment anybody sort of feels challenged politically or intellectually, they don't know how to take the information in. It makes them uncomfortable, and they go back to numbing out. And I think you really are bringing up something that I've touched on for years, and this it's this idea of thinking objectively, thinking critically, and thinking on your own without being – and this is my problem with Facebook. You know, There's just 
if you're not careful, you have been the number one post. I, I didn't know who you were for the last, my entire life. I friend you and you are number one on the top of my feed every single day now. So, well, I don't want to be number one to check. No, no, but, but that's my point though. It Facebook literally more than anybody realizes controls what people are seeing and then it affects people's moods. It affects But if pe- they knew what I was posting, they wouldn't want you to see me. That's true. But I think they're doing it because you're the only one that I've been engaging with the last two weeks and they want me to stay on that platform as much as possible. And this connects to what the media is doing. They're not trying to give factual or objective information. They're trying to get information that will keep you on their platform. And- well, I agree. The minute I said anything that was remotely leaning towards not viscerally hating Trump, um, I started getting all these Trump surveys. I'm like, dudes, I'm not a pro-Trumper guy. I'm just sitting here looking through the facts of this COVID experience. But I just, Eddie, I really say at the end of the day, it always comes down, nothing, money itself is neutral. An information platform, except for ones that are doing censorship like this, which is just heinous, and there's a couple of choices they've made that are just really disturbing. But... In general, the theory of information highways like these platforms, they're neutral. It always comes down to the individual and how they're going to employ it and how they're going to educate themselves like you just did to me with how the bots work. You know, that was very informative. I had no idea I'm showing up so much. Please, I'll take you off my real food list. But, you know, I mean, I think I can tell you so many values, so many positive things that have occurred in my life since 2009 with Facebook alone, that it's a really, you know, the best of times, the worst of times. And I really think like anything, it comes down to you, the individual, to be critically thinking and to be responsible. I always say about freedom of speech, it's not just good enough to have freedom of speech. It requires the responsibility of the citizen to exercise that freedom. I'm not saying that you should be taking away your freedom of speech, but when I look sometimes as a mom, and I used to see when my kids are little, the billboards that were had so many inappropriate images and my little kid just starting to read saying, why does that say? I think to myself, really? We can't exercise responsible freedom of speech. We can't get, knowing that little kids are gonna be see this, we can't use that billboard in a way that's not offensive or inappropriate to the child. So that's always been my, you know, my uh, bullhorn. And I think it's the same with using these kinds of information highways. Yeah, but I don't trust people are as intellectual or thoughtful as you are. I think because there's capitalism, there's money, and people are just idiotic and ignorant. And then this idea that anybody could go on to Facebook and Twitter and say whatever the fuck they want, I I do think that's where the problem lies. And I know I sound crazy because I completely disagree with Facebook just controlling freedom of speech now, but I'm I'm conflicted and I don't know the answer. Yeah, but you know, that's that person living their experience and you have the right to not engage with them, but you could use it and you could learn so much about enzymatically intact seeds or foraging, or I don't know, what's an interest of yours? Are you a musician? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many ways that you can engage and use this to an, in an expansive way, right. like anything in life. I mean, are there people that just won't be responsible or intelligent enough to, to figure out how to use this responsibly? 
I mean, that is the beautiful, glorious diversity called human nature. It wasn't for this platform, you and I wouldn't be sitting here talking, and this has been quite enjoyable. Well, so. thank you. My, my last point, I know you're busy, and I know you got stuff going on. Oh, yes, on. I'm so busy. Well, no, I, I mean, I don't want to take too much of your time, but I, yeah. I don't want to go two things. I, I, do you find it pe- peculiar, and then I want to ask you your theory, do you find it peculiar that, that Governor Newsom signed this billion-dollar deal with China for the, with the masks? Do you find it peculiar the way Governor Newsom is behaving? This vi- Again, I, we have coronaviruses every year. A week after Dr. Fauci says, uh, oh, I think I made a mistake with the numbers. I said 100 to 250,000. Now I actually think it's 40 to 50,000. Like within a week, an article comes out saying that they're giving the COVID-19 death, even if it's just presumed that they died that way. So there's obviously something out there that wants that number high. Then here's Governor Newsom, who's striking a deal with China to bring a, a billion or a billion dollar deal to bring all these masks to California. Something is just not adding up to me. I know you're trying to get people to wake up. I know you're trying to get people to realize that we're getting duped. But what's the source? What's what's the cause, rather, of all of this? Do, do you know, or do you have hunches, or there are so there are so many layers to that question, and also this is where I do do some self not censoring, but I do consider the audience because I don't want to be discredited when I feel I've got information that's important relative to the person receiving it. And to me, there are so many different levels. There's the simple level of the virus. And then there's the level of the, the politics that are being played out on the world stage that may be impacting this virus and how we're looking at it. And then there's a darker idea of an agendized politics. And then there's an even darker understanding what's been constantly labeled as conspiracy theory that's about what's driving that darker agenda. And then there's like a light conspiracy theory that's above that. I mean, there's so many layers to this. Hmm. And... Um, and I, again, I am a quester, I'm a critical thinker, so I will be open and I will investigate it and see what rings right for me. And oftentimes stuff that's up here eventually comes through and starts showing up, let's say on the political world stage. So that thing about, well, let's say, let's take Fauci's role in creating the virus in Wuhan that came out of Newsweek. Mm -hmm. That came out of Newsweek, what, like three days ago? Yep. But that's been surfacing up here, well, certainly since this thing started, because I got that information since this thing started, but probably a lot earlier than that. And um, so... When you ask, your question was, do I believe that there are nefarious activities or agendas going on outside of this virus? I mean, beyond just the virus? Yeah. Um, 100% yes. I've never known a virus to be political. This is a political virus, and I'm really stealing the words of someone else. I don't remember who said it. But this isn't just about health and wellness. This is really about creating ideologies and belief systems that will pit one faction against the other. And this is even about something larger that shows that there are agenda-driven elements to this experience. And also, very interesting, my friends in England and my friends in Italy, so UK and Italy, they're all experiencing the same kinds of protocols, like... The government suddenly only has one scientist, like we have Fauci, 
And you have to listen to that scientist and everyone else is being censored or blackballed or criticized and it's running through the media waves, the criticism of anyone who defies this one government appointed scientist and every one of those government appointed scientists are saying life will not be normal until we have vaccines, vaccines, vaccines. And on top of that, all the different machinations of like, we don't know when you're going to be let out or you're going to be let out later or you got to wear the mask. It's all parroting across cultures, governments and data. So the, the deaths are different in England than they are in Italy and different than the America. But they're all patterning, especially where there's a I'm sorry to make this a political thing. I don't mean to be because, like I said, I'm non-political party, but it is where there are Democratic governors. They are the ones that are forcefully or more prominent forcefully enforcing these these regulations, these step points that are parroted in these other countries. And so to me, that says globalist agenda. Hmm. I could talk a lot about that, but I don't want to scare. No. Well, I have to say, and I, I guess I'm just thinking this last point. I do feel like you have found this way to. We, we live in a culture now where if you're not taking your clothes off, if you're not yelling or swearing, people are just going to s- scroll right by. You've got like five seconds to get somebody's attention now. It, it's literally, you know, conversations have been dwindled down to DMs. Twitter has dwindled everything down to like 140 characters. You have managed to, I think, get people's attention by just emphatically speaking, communicating, sharing information. And I think it's it's made me have hope that social media can be used in a way that hopefully wakes people up and gets people's attention. It's certainly, I mean, I had already felt this way. Um, I, I have always been a curious, questioning type of human being. So I, I think hats off to what you're doing. And I think it's really important now more than ever to find a space where you can actually objectively read an article, watch a news story, read a news story, have a conversation. And again, I know that you put social media on a higher pedestal than I do, but I do think all of these technologies, the social media platforms are are literally dwindling people's brains down. We're not using as much of the brain as we used to. I, I, I'm convinced of that. And, well, I think we just need to meditate. <laughs> oh, I wish I wish it was that. I, I I am speaking based on I mean, you have kids. I mean, do you see when you drop them off in school, do you do you see I, I don't know if you've seen the show Euphoria, but I, I see a world of literally people getting all the information, staring, looking down at Instagram, not talking anymore, sending DMs. You know, this, I, I just, I feel like if you got in front of a room in front of 500 people and spoke for an hour, you would get so much further in getting people to wake up than the information through Facebook. Because By the way, I want to say two things. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. I, I want to clarify. Like, I don't feel like it's my role to wake people up. I just want to clarify that. <laughs> That's not what yeah. my driven agenda is. I'm just showing up and being me and expressing and connecting and, you know, creating community in online because we're not, because that's what's available and we're not out and being with each other. Although maybe some of us are, but anyway, but I won't tell, but the, the idea of technology and children and particularly before the formative years, I mean, I had a lot of years 
to experience internal thinking and my quiet and solitude and communication with individuals through verbalization and being in presence. And the kids don't have that. And so this is a whole nother issue and I do have a lot of issues with it. But at the end of the day, it's here. Like it is here. So how can we not resist it? How can we grow it in a way that um, allows it to give the best and most expansive benefits? And if it's not for you, we should you know get off. Like I am hating how I am acting with it right now because it's like <laughs> constantly with me. Yes. And I don't want to be attached to it. And I know I won't be when we when we move through this current experience. I know I'll go back to a more balanced and centered, but I try to do things like don't touch it till 10 o'clock mm. or, you know, um, put it down now. It, you're, you're, I set it so that it goes dark at, a, at 10 at night and that's it. And it goes off and put it in a, I bought a box for us to put it in that keeps the EMS away at night, trying to get my kids to agree, which is going to be impossible, at least my teen older. But the point is, is that, um, that's another area where responsibility needs to come in and discipline. And I definitely am looking forward to getting over this compulsory stage so that I can go back to using it in a much more balanced way. And for some people, that's like they look at it maybe once a day. They, I have a friend that looks at it one time in the morning and one time at night. It just depends. Like, what's your work? You know, unfortunately, I like to I, I work on my computer, on my phone. You know, there's yeah. things. But it's, it's about finding a balance and, and about, again, you know, employing self-responsibility and disciplines. Yeah, I know. Hey, I hear you. Well, Lori, I appreciate you taking the time. Um, means a lot. I, I found your information very insightful, and it makes me feel like I'm not a lunatic to, to think these things because it's been, it's been, it's been refreshing. So I, I really am happy that you took the time to talk. It means a lot. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. And I agree it would be much better if it was in person. So next time, in person. Done. I appreciate it. Bye. Bye.